Welcome to the Road to Reinvention podcast. I'm your host, Sherelle Dorsey, tech founder, author, speaker, and networking connoisseur. After several successful businesses and what many would consider a life well-lived, I found myself struggling after earning all of my gold stars to answer the simple question of what's next. Once you've done everything you said you would do and then some, do you create just another goal? Do you hang it up? Do you pivot and show up in a new space? Do you do something you're passionate about and damn proud of? Or do you once and for all decide to put that kind of energy into your personal life and put the work aside? I don't know yet, but I have tons of friends and colleagues and people I admire that have tracked this same journey who will be joining us this season to bear it all. How they answer the question that left them puzzled after earning the highest of highs. Join me in tuning in to hear from those who learn to navigate their own road to reinvention. Welcome to the Road to Reinvention. My name is Sherelle Dorsey, and today I have an incredible special guest, a friend, but also an incredible leader in the space of mental health and wellness, Rashawn Miller. Rashawn is a licensed professional therapist, a speaker, an award-winning social entrepreneur, and his personal journey of being diagnosed with bipolar disorder led to the founding of Eustress Inc., a nonprofit that focuses on raising mental health awareness through conversation and activities to break the stigma associated with mental illness in black and brown communities. Rashawn is the recipient of the American Psychiatric Association Foundation Award for Advancing Minority Mental Health and the South by Southwest Community Service Award. He has also been featured in the Huffington Post, Blavity, Bustle, Men's Health, and more. Rashawn is the executive producer of the short film Black Friday and the author of Injured Reserve, a black man's playbook to manage being sidelined by mental illness. I'm really excited about today's conversation, so we're going to just dive right in. So, Sean, your work has so much to do with this idea around stigma, Mm -hmm. especially in the black and brown community where we know these conversations aren't really happening, especially around mental health. Mm -hmm. So talk to me about how these stigmas really prevent us from being the best version of ourselves. That's a loaded question. Yeah. Um, I think one of the things that's starting off is this stigma allows us to hide in shells. And we really don't know who we truly are because we try to live up to certain expectations when it comes down to what our families want us to do, what right. you know, our friends want us to do, and what society mm-hmm. puts us in boxes. Yeah. So I think that has a lot to do with it. Um, but then also the stigma, especially surrounding mental mental health and mental illness, uh, it allows people to lie to themselves about what they really have going on. Yeah. Yeah. What makes you or or what are the ideas around that hiding and those societal pressures and because even like when i look at social media right it's like everyone's living this glamorous life everyone's traveling everyone's got 55 side hustles and you know get in the bag speaking on panels and stages and it seems like it's so glossy Mm -hmm. and we have sort of created this archetype of ourselves that is very well polished Mm -hmm. And then you have these these challenges of, of folks who now kind of come out and are talking about suicidal thoughts, yeah. you know, and you think, oh, my gosh, these people have everything in the world. Right. And yet, like, where does this depression come from? Like, where does this unhappiness come from? Like what divorce, you know, all of these kinds of things like 
like how does even just that aspect, like how is that shape that keeps us in hiding? Well, one of the things I think we, we post our, our highlight reels. Yeah. So also for me as a clinician, I see both sides though. So you have mm -hmm. one extreme. So you got people that's always down, always depressed and always posting okay. negative things. But then you got the people that want to post their highlight reels. Yeah. And for the people that post their highlight reels, they don't want to show, this, show themselves as human. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times when you have that mask and you have that different personas and all of those particular things, like people are afraid to let people know, man, I have down days. Yeah. Every day is not the greatest. Mm -hmm. I'm not always on a trip. Mm -hmm. Who can afford to always be on a trip? <laughs> <laughs> like, or they don't see the hustle that comes behind all of those particular yeah. things. You know, me and you, like we, we've been at this for a while. Yeah, I was just telling my producer Jess about how like early on, Early on, we would literally have like these brainstorming ideation mm -hmm, sessions, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, years ago, like in my office, whiteboarding. Yep. And yep. it's like not an nothing is an overnight success. Nothing at all. At the end of the day. But for some reason, like we are sort of conditioned to believe like, hey, if I build up my following, you know, if I show all the pretty, fancy, sexy things, mm -hmm. then this will equate to success. Mm -hmm. And then as I arrive at success, like the happier I'll become. And that's just really not what ends up taking place. And so it's interesting that you put it that way. So let's even look at it from mental wellness. Mm -hmm. A lot of people think that, oh, if I take this pill or if I go to therapy, um, it'll I'll, I'll, I'll be automatically feel better. No, it takes work. Wait, because I've been in therapy for years. <laughs> and at some point you're like, wait, I'm not fixed yet. <laughs> like, right. like right. when do I arrive at this like, oh, this is done versus this is a, an ongoing journey. But when do you stop living? I mean, I don't know how to answer that. <laughs> life be life, you know. Life lives. Even right. when like just when you think that you have overcome in whatever that context means, mm -hmm. life lives. Right. You know, someone dies, right? Right. You know, an opportunity that you were banking on is now no longer an opportunity and you have to reshuffle or you got an employee that you have to let go of mm -hmm. that's mm -hmm. no longer performing, mm -hmm. right? Or we're looking now at the economic infrastructure, right? Mm -hmm. You thought, oh, I got this nice six-figure job plus the stock options, plus all these things. And like, I'm setting up my life based on this one rooted opportunity. Oh, yeah, that just and now, right, right, right. <laughs> I mean, it's real talk, right? Right, right. right it's right. real talk. And yet, like, when those things happen and they knock you off center it's like having to go back into those fundamentals around the wellness component mm -hmm. and yeah i think that i think that for so many of us we think okay yeah i'm doing the yoga i'm taking the hot baths i'm going on the trips i am in therapy i'm mm -hmm. doing all the other fancy trendy things you know i have the coach and then you feel like i need a whole super team of superheroes to keep me together right. or i will crack right but the, but also think about it like this. Do you ever stop going to the doctor? No. Well, you shouldn't. <laughs> so why should you? So even yeah. when people come to me as a, uh, for my clients, I'm like, I may not have to see you every week. Yeah. But I at least need to check in with you and know what's going on. So even for myself, when I go to my therapist, right now I'm going to my therapist once a month. But, yeah. you know, when I was going through certain trials and tribulations, Oh, I had to see her every week. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was yeah. like, yo, I need to get on your schedule. <laughs> yeah. So understanding that, you know, having that resource and that support system in that manner, it never goes away. And let's let's like really to use like a tech term, let's double click on that. <laughs> let's double click on this this term here. So 
So much of your story and your work is embedded in your own journey, Mm -hmm. um, your own challenges with mental health. And when we first met, um, I think we had like a phone call Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. you're, you like, you told me your whole life story. And I was like, Whoa, I just met this dude. (laughs) Right. And like, I think I was, I was like writing a a story, you know, about your journey. Mm -hmm. And it was like so vulnerable and you not only publicly shared your story, but your entire profession is rooted on helping other folks, Mm -hmm. which is so interesting because like we see the Brene Browns of the world. We have like women who naturally are open, right? And talking about mental health and wellness, but rarely do we see black men in this space, Mm -hmm. especially as like licensed clinicians. Mm -hmm. And so you're somewhat of an anomaly in many ways. Like you're also from the South, right? Like from the deep South. Yes. Right? Like, y'all just got traffic lights. I know. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> but no, we legit only have one in my town. That's but what yeah. I'm seeing. Yeah, like, see? Like, see? See? Listen. <laughs> like, the nearest Walmart is, like, 30 minutes away. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. No, yeah. Right. Yeah. But, but all of these things that culturally are very anti-telling your business in the streets. Facts. Or relying on tools like therapy when maybe it might have been you just got to pray about it. You got to go to the revival Mm -hmm. and, you know, semi-exorcism and the demons will come out. Right. right? Like into the Mm -hmm. conversation that we had when we first met around some of your your challenges finding out in college. And so I want you to kind of share a little bit about that and like why you decided not only like I'm not going to allow this diagnosis to determine what I can't do, but I'm actually going to turn it into like this superpower that has defined your life purpose. You got to share your story with us. <laughs> and, and and we're not going to talk about it from a superpower standpoint, like Kanye does, because <laughs> right. that's, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That's, that's a little different. Um, but that, is so far. <laughs> that is so far. <laughs> um, but I think one of the things um, you mentioned in my diagnosis, so I was diagnosed with bipolar one disorder with psychotic features back in mm-hmm. 2006. Yeah. Um, I was a sophomore at UNC Chapel Hill and um, I received that diagnosis while I was in Duke Medical Center mm-hmm. um, in their psychiatric ward. My, my family actually drug me to the hospital and um, of course, against my will, and I ended up punching a nurse when I got to the hospital. So they put me in restraints and put me in a padded room. Um, and that was something that was very scary for me because the things that we normally see on yeah. TV about psychiatric wars, about mental health and all of those things, like they're terrifying. Yeah. Those are part of horror movies. Um, and so coming up from rural North Carolina, Bertie County, um, like I said, we don't have much there. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, you got a Walmart? <laughs> no, we do just don't have a Walmart in our county, in the entire county. Um, uh, we'll, but, start a, we'll start an advocacy group. <laughs> but um, so like growing up, I was the man where I came from because I played sports, played football, ran right. track and basketball. But then also I was a scholar. So I ended up going to Chapel Hill on an academic scholarship. Mm-hmm. Not a football scholarship. No. But then walked on to the football team and the track team once I got there. Gotcha. So I'm juggling all of these things. Um, and then going into my sophomore year, I caught a helmet to my knee. And so. Wait. You know, I grew up in theater and computers. Yeah. What does a helmet to your knee mean? Because I'm not a sports person. 
you're going to have to back that up. <laughs> All right. So I'm on the practice field uh, and, you know, we're, we're running a play and the, another guy who um, on the uh, on the opposing side of the field put his helmet directly into this actual knee. And so okay. it blew out my knee. Whew. Yeah. So okay. I had to have surgery and all of those things. Um, but then on top of that, um, I wasn't doing well in school okay. either. Um, so that transition from a predominantly black community to a PWI and trying to understand how to navigate those spaces coming from a small town, mm -hmm. the school is larger than the population in my entire county. Right, right. So trying to navigate those things, uh, it was a struggle. Yeah. Um, so you're dealing with like culture shock. You're out of sort of a safe environment mm -hmm. that you know very well, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. being thrust into something you have to relearn from the ground up. Right. And then also, then you got to put on so many different masks in those spaces. Okay. And you try, you behind the eight ball because you're trying to catch up on stuff. Cause my first chemistry class, it was like, they started teaching stuff to say, Oh, you supposed to learn this other stuff in high school. I didn't learn that. Right. Cause we were behind. Yeah. Um, yeah. so ended up, you know, after that surgery, I sat in my room. I went through a period where I didn't sleep for about two weeks, started to hear voices, mm. um, but then also lost about 25 pounds over a matter of six weeks. Mm. Um, and then luckily for me, I'm my only child and I talked to my mom every day and she could just tell something that was wrong in my voice. Yeah. And when she heard that, she, she sent my cousin to come check in on me and took me out of the room and that's how I ended up in the hospital. Mm -hmm. But receiving that diagnosis while in the hospital, Honestly, when I first got it, I was like, I don't believe nothing you're saying mm -hmm. because all of the doctors in there, they were white. Uh, nobody in there looked like me at all. So mm -hmm. and then we're we're taught to not trust medical professionals, especially yeah. medical professionals that don't look like. And me. Now how old were you? I at was this age? 19. OK, so this is a whole different world right. now. You're already in a new world. Right. And now there's this entire right. conversation. You that's introduced this, right. this new thing. And then I'm looking out at my my, my family and they're crying. I'm like, y'all crying, but y'all the one brought me here. Right. <laughs> so, I didn't ask for y'all to right, come here. Right, right. <laughs> but then um, also they're telling me, oh, you need to be on meds and you need to go to therapy and um, you can't go back to school because that's a stressor for you at the moment. Mm -hmm. I was like, I just want to get out of the hospital. Yeah. How long were you there for? I was there for a couple of weeks. Okay. Yeah. Wow. And... Um, that was probably that was one of my lowest moments in my life mm. because my identity was so wrapped up in being a man and so wrapped up in being an athlete and wrapped up in being a scholar. All of this has changed now. Yeah. So now I'm in a psychiatric ward. So now I'm calling myself crazy mm -hmm. and I'm no longer who I who I used to be. And now I can't go back to school, but I don't want to go back home because people go ask, why are you home? And I don't want them in my business. Mm hmm. Um, so there was no safe space no, anywhere no, no, no. for you at that time? Not, not at that time. Yeah. Because, I mean, that's a lot to deal with. That's a lot to, to digest. Yeah. Um, ended up in Charlotte, though, because my uncle lived there, and I got connected with a doctor, um, Dr. Kendall Jasper. And that was one of the defining moments for me in my career, but then also in my own health. Yeah. Because he was a black male. Um, but then also, he looked like me. He dressed like me. He talked like me. When I first went into his office, he dapped me up. <laughs> I was like, bro, you sure you a doctor? Because <laughs> we don't see stuff like, like that. Let me see your credentials. Right, right, right. Like we used to see in a white coat and, you know, uh, button up. Very clinical, very, very sterile. Clinical. Right. Yeah. He had on a t-shirt, um, some basketball shorts and J's. Okay. So um, talking with him, 
Ended up uh, getting the treatment that I needed to get, um, but then also I wanted to go back to school. And when I got back to school, my symptoms ended up coming back because I stopped my treatment. I stopped my treatment because of the fact that I thought that I was cured. I didn't mm-hmm. know that this was something that I lived with for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. That lifelong. Well, you were you were alluding to that earlier. Yeah. Yeah, like you don't journey. you don't stop living. That actually that actually just like hit me hard when you said that. It's like, well, how how long are you gonna be living? Because right. you have to do continuous care. Mm-hmm. It is a it is a journey, and as you say, it becomes part of your life now. It's yes, not a it's a lifestyle. It's not a one time and be done. Right. It's a continuous journey. Especially if you don't want to go back in crisis mode. Mm-hmm. So that, for that's me, that's a whole word. Yeah, that's like a whole so, word. you have to do your due diligence to make sure that you don't end up back to where you don't want to be. Yeah, yeah. There's a is it becomes a science to mm-hmm. understanding yourself, but then understanding the things that you need and certain things you need to adjust. And over time, as I can imagine, because we become different people throughout this process, and mm-hmm. you talk so much about the transformation, and you know, from being in the hospital to now kind of readjusting back into society. Mm-hmm as someone who had this identity that you built up Mm -hmm. that was probably a part of you and then became the mask you had to wear because that was the persona Mm -hmm. that you kind of came in with Mm -hmm. adjusting to these new spaces again and now readjusting Mm -hmm. and reinventing through i have this diagnosis i have this treatment plan and now like i fundamentally that shell has transformed and now I have to figure out where I am in this shell. But the thing about it was even I had to figure out what I am in this shell, but nobody else knew that I had this diagnosis. Right. Cause how do you, cause, because how do you talk about it? You know, whether you have a diagnosis or not, it's right. hard to say, you know, even when, and you talked about, you know, speaking to your mom, I remember just days where, you know, I'm 3000 miles away from my family and I'm going through the highs and the lows of right. life, be it graduating in the heart of a recession right. to, you know, losing my first job out of college to like, I have no idea what to do now that I'm like out of this relationship or whatever mm-hmm. it was. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that phone call, that mom, I don't know why they always know, <laughs> but like that mom they phone know, call right. that comes in this like, what's wrong? Right. You know, what's going on? Right. But you can't even put the words together, the mm-hmm. language together. Cause we're not given the language. Right, right. There is there is no language outside of crazy. Right. Right, crazy right. or like you said that the horror film of, mm-hmm. and then crazy looks like white walls, restraints, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. medication, mm-hmm. some kind of form to dance mob with like George Clinton. Right. Remember right. from like Good right. Burger? Right. <laughs> it was right. like all the exactly. crazy people right. dancing exactly. like Thriller. Or <laughs> like, in our communities, it. it looks like the homeless people. Right. Or people that are strung out on drugs or these things. Yeah, yeah. Or the, oh, you know, auntie that's somebody just, is like, right. that's just, you know, right. we don't fool with them too much. Right. Right. But why not? Yeah. So understanding all of those particular things, mm-hmm. and that's who I am internally now, but no one knew about what was going on, so I still had to put that mask on. Yeah, yeah. And then even then, so like with my family – with them taking me to the hospital and knowing my diagnosis and all of those things, it still was tough for me to talk to them about because I didn't want them to worry. Mm-hmm. So now it becomes protection. So once again, not a ton of safe space because you have to worry about other people's feelings. Yeah, because you're worried about other people and yeah. you want to protect them from your own stuff. And then it's only building on to what you're doing. Yeah. Like, but that's such a that's a, such a tremendous weight, I think, mm-hmm. especially from a leadership perspective. And, right. and I also want to dive into how you did overcome some of the stigma mm-hmm, to then mm-hmm. turn it into creating safe spaces for others. Definitely. But even the weight on that, because 
as a therapist, an invisible therapist at that, I'm sure your DMs are like, Bruh. <laughs> hey, can I get a session? And it's like, <laughs> no, because I have 25,000 followers. I can't give you all a session. Right. You know? Right, right, right. So so now you're trying to find safe spaces, but you're, now your concern is not necessarily your wellness, but the wellness of other people, particularly your family, who's, of course, going to be concerned about you, who mm-hmm. loves you deeply, mm-hmm. but you want to make sure that they feel like you're going to be good. Mm-hmm. A lot and of us do that. All of us do it. Mm-hmm. To a certain degree, like, oh, you know, we have. So what really got to the point where for me to in my journey is once I went back to school and I stopped my treatment and this the um, symptoms started back heavy. I went through my high highs and my low lows and I attempted suicide three times. Mm -hmm. I remember you mentioning that. Yeah. Yeah. So the first two times I tried to um, die by suicide by overdosing on pills. And then the last time I put a gun in my head and pulled the trigger and it jammed on me. Mm. For me, that was my wake up call to understanding that I needed to take my my wellness more seriously. Mm -hmm. It's not by chance Mm -hmm. that I will get better. I needed to learn myself like just like I go study for a test or something like that. I needed yeah. to really dig into who Rashawn Lamar Miller is. Yeah. And understanding what ticks. And I think, so going back to your initial question about the stigma, I had to learn what did bipolar disorder look like for me? Mm-hmm. Because of the fact of when the doctor told me, they just gave me some general stuff, told me I needed to do these things and that's it. Okay, I needed to take that and do some more research. Mm-hmm. What does your continuum of care right. actually look like? Right. Yeah. But I, I wanna I wanna put a pin um because the language and the challenges around suicide mm-hmm. and we've seen or witnessed so many public, you know, folks who have um again, seemingly everything was going well. Mm-hmm. It looked like their lives were great. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just wanting to honor like the life of Twitch uh, and yeah. his family yeah. and friends and a lot of folks who I knew who knew him. And I think it always shocks us, right? I think it mm-hmm. always shocks us. And I think that's really heavy that you had those experiences. And at the time, was that when you had thought you were cured because of the medication and then you realized I, I need to I need to get back in in this game yeah so yeah. when when I thought I was cured and I was like yo I, I for one I was able to hide it and then I can jump back into this game I can go back and be in myself I can still be this this person that people looked up to and all of these things yeah. and still uphold the standard of what people put on me yeah and so that's when I was like, I don't need this treatment and stuff. I'm going to just go ahead and just do it. Do me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Whether I go home every day and cry or, you know, days that I can't even get out of the bed and don't even want to see the sunlight. When I step out, I'm going to step out. Yeah. Yeah. Because I can't show y'all none of that. So. Yeah. But that's still the shell that you're presenting to the right. world. Right. Right. I also just want to... Um, to also reference something that I learned from you around the conversation around suicide. And I think that we have to really acknowledge that no matter how great we are, no matter what we've achieved education wise, 
business-wise, we could have raised $100 million in venture capital. And, mm -hmm. you know, like you said, you know, you're the man, you're the woman, you're on top of the game industry-wise. And yet we still see these very drastic and dramatic things that happen. Mm -hmm. And a few years ago, you tweeted about how the language, you, you broke down the etymology of this idea of committed suicide because mm -hmm. it was illegal mm -hmm. back in the day With to commit license. suicide. <laughs> like, I don't understand how that actually works. Um, and every time someone uses that term committed mm -hmm. versus died by suicide, like I, like I, that, that moment I saw that tweet, mm -hmm. I completely, completely changed my language on that. Like they died by suicide. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because it almost victimizes the victim yeah. completely and, and language as we know it matters. Mm -hmm. And now that we're starting to learn the language of wellness, mm -hmm. I think that part of the stigma that we were speaking about earlier is starting to transform in transition now right. and maybe in some artificial ways i think we're all right. in this like yeah. soft life wellness what have you without like a lot of depth but what does it look like but what does that actually look like mm -hmm. um, when we do change and alter the language mm -hmm. as we are reinventing terminology as we're reinventing stigma and then in that case like reinventing ourselves mm -hmm. so i want i want to i want to dive into how you went from okay i'm cured to, okay, maybe not, into I have to develop a continuous care plan for myself. And now I feel, and I don't wanna say strong enough because it assumes that you're not strong if you're struggling with wellness or health issues. I was like comfortable. Comfortable, okay. Okay. Much more comfortable around sharing your story mm -hmm. and then empowering yourself and your community based on your story, because I, I, I wonder, had these things from going into school, being in an uncomfortable environment, receiving your diagnosis, like I wonder if none of those things happened to you, Rashawn Miller, would we have any of the things that you've built and created, right? Like it became such a big part of your story. So mm -hmm. I, wanna, I wanna dive into that you reinvented your story mm -hmm. and used it as a platform and as a catalyst to help other people see themselves in you, but more important, be able to start opening up and take ownership mm -hmm. of their own narrative around their wellness, whether there was a diagnosis or not, but right. knowing that like, hey, I need to have conversations. I need to be in therapy. I may need medication. Mm -hmm. I may need, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like, like, talk to me about all of that. Whew. Uh, <laughs> you talk about reinventing. So if I look at it from that, that standpoint, I had to reinvent my mask. Mm. Um, because the mask that I was, that I was wearing put me in restraints. <laughs> Literally. Literally. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> right. But, um, <laughs> and I wasn't meant to be in a box. I don't think none of us are. Yeah. Um, and so as I got to learn myself more and I started to really understand what wellness and healing and what living for me looked mm. like, I started to see so many people around me that were suffering. Mm. I was able to pick up on those little signs where individuals are not, um, they're smiling, but you can tell they're not happy. Mm -hmm. Or they're smoking, 
and you seeing they chain smoking or they drinking a lot. Waking and baking. Right. And, all of yeah, these things. Yeah. Because I was that person. Okay. So yeah. all of to to your point, all of these things, all of my experiences allowed me to combine my book knowledge with what I at what I have experienced and what life has presented to me to be able to help other people. Yeah. Because a lot of times people don't feel seen. Mm-hmm. And being seen doesn't always mean, you know, oh, tell me, tell me your whole life story. Mm-hmm. It could be when you were in school sending you a card. Or just check like, yo, I know you were in school, just checking in on you. Yeah. It could be something small like that. And then also for me, when I when I decided to go get my, when I wanted to be a therapist because I understand that we don't have enough black male therapists for one. We don't have enough therapists in general. But right, I think the data was like less than 4% of yeah. all therapists in general are folks of color. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay, I need to do something about that. But then also when I was in my master's program, they're teaching me stuff. I'm like, how would this go work when I go to the hood and I'm sitting on the couch trying to do therapy with an eight-year-old, four-year-old brother running around, mom in there cooking. And then you got, you know, his little sister trying to beat him over the head. Right. Where's the cultural aspect to mm-hmm. it? Mm-hmm. So when I'm asking my teachers these, these questions, they don't have any answers. Okay, cool. Yeah. I'm going to do it my way. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take what you give me, but then I'm going to make it fit mm-hmm. to what I know needs to be happening. And your approaches have been pretty unconventional because <laughs> yeah. it's not just like physically showing up on a sofa. I mean, and, I rarely you know, see people on a sofa. Right. So where do you take <laughs> like where do you take your your clients or your your patients? Or- so a lot of times, man, we we may be in the park. We'll go to the gym. I work out with a couple of my clients. Mm-hmm. Um, we go shoot basketball. I go to their house. You know what I'm saying? So where they're actually comfortable because therapy is hard. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, we are not used to going in and having an objective person coming in and just listening to all of our problems. So like, and then also for me, understanding from a male standpoint, I can't have a, a dude come sit on my couch. And, oh, so tell me about your day. He'll be looking at me like, <laughs> I ain't got nothing for you, bro. Okay. So I need to get them active. I need to get yeah. them, you know, engaged so they don't feel like all of the pressure is on them. Mm-hmm. You know, so even playing video games with, with some of my kids and I can play video games with them via the Internet now, you know, so yeah. like and then COVID was a blessing in disguise because it created an opportunity for a lot of people to try therapy. OK, yeah, virtually. And see what works for them and yeah. see what it actually looks a little like. less intimidating, very less intimidating. Yeah, yeah. And I've done both. I've done the going to a physical location mm-hmm. every week mm-hmm. into virtual you know and sometimes you need either or right you know sometimes you need that human connection you right. gotta sit across from someone you gotta look somebody in the eye right and sometimes you're like my life is busy but i know this is important right yeah and then i mean all of our lives are busy and then the way our society is set up you're working all day and then mm-hmm. if you got kids when you're getting off you're taking care of them so when are you gonna have time to go right do therapy mm-hmm. or go talk to someone. That's why it, it, it keeps getting pushed to the background. Yeah. I love, I love that 
video games as a portal. Oh yeah, yeah a yeah, workout yeah, as a portal. Yeah, I think yeah. especially for men. Yeah. I, I think that you know women sometimes we default to you know we have a lot of friends we have a lot of girlfriends like mm-hmm. there's always kind of someone who you can you know connect with that is going to be a listening ear mm-hmm. but I think statistically um, men have fewer of those closer bonds. Mm-hmm. And I know one of the things that you do as well is annually you and your your friends, your line brothers, um, do a trip yeah. as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Labor and um, it's a it's a check-in yeah. that y'all have been doing for a while now. This will be year 10. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So the way we set it up is we, we leave uh, Wednesday to Tuesday of Labor Day. Um, the first couple of days is us just checking in. It's not just about partying and everything. We, we want to make sure that where are you sitting there in life? Yeah. What are your goals? Um, and then also, how can we fit into those goals? How can we support you? Yeah. What hardships have you had? What wins are you having? You know, all of those particular things. So us being very intentional about that stuff. Yeah. And what's interesting, too, is, you know, when, when I was still in Charlotte and we were doing our like Monday morning stand up meetings, mm-hmm. we talked so much about all the things we wanted to accomplish and so many of those, those things have happened. Mm-hmm. And I remember you were talking about having an outpatient center mm-hmm. and you recently actually opened one mm-hmm. in your hometown. Mm-hmm. Like, let's talk about how all these things happen amid so many of the transformative, you know, highs and lows yeah. of not just the pandemic, but then also, you know, running your own clinic, You've been, of course, seeing clients for years, but expanding your practice, mm-hmm. um, joining a tech company, and then unjoining a tech company once a new person took over <laughs> um, and decided to change priorities. Right, um, right. But that entire process, because that was almost another transformative, you know, series of events mm-hmm. that that happened and took root. But mm-hmm. I want to I want to dive a little bit more into your continuous building of these spaces and the success that comes with them, but then also I think maybe the ways in which you have to double down on your care yep. <laughs> overall as you're building these like incredible things and doing great work, right? Because because right. a lot of times we love our work. We love what we're doing. We love who we're helping, but that does take a lot out of you. And then you have to start placing or delegating or what have you in order to expand and to scale at the same time. So maybe you can talk about your your journey in that. Ooh, uh, man, those those days that uh, in your office, boy, <laughs> on the whiteboard sessions. Listen. Uh, so I think for me is as I learned myself and started to build myself internally, that's what allowed me to build out outwardly. Mm-hmm. And me being grounded in who I am, what I wanted to be, what I wanted to do, but then also not being afraid to pivot when I needed to. Yeah, yeah. Uh, me being strict about my regimen, me being understanding the supports that I need to have around me, and then also telling them what I need. Mm-hmm. And then, um, and, you know, and holding them accountable, but then also being accountable myself. Um, just to see, you know, right now with, with my private practice, we have, I have, nine therapists that work with me we have two interns um and then also as i help with leading them it's not just about what can they do for the company but i also i invest in them what what else do you want to do so i have those those same brainstorming sessions that we used to have i do those with my with my staff too because like if you don't want to work with me i don't want you to work with me all your life yeah. If you want to, cool. But also, I need to know what else you you're working towards. Yeah. So yeah. being able to invest in people, 
mm-hmm. can take you a very long way because again, I think people are not being seen mm-hmm. in so many different ways. Um, and then that translates into me helping teach them certain ways that I do my practice. Mm-hmm. The, because we don't learn that in school. No. <laughs> we playing Call of Duty with our patients. Right, right. <laughs> That's not so, in the textbook. <laughs> so like being able to do that, you know, yeah. and, and, and teach them those ways. Um, but then also, I mean, it's 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 been a beautiful thing just to see the growth, but then also my to see my family that took me to the hospital. And see them so engaged in the work that I do now. Wait, because didn't your mom work for you for a bit? She working for me now. She's still working for you? Yeah, she's, okay. she's the one running the office in Bertie. I just remember when you were like <laughs> posting about her taking a, a lunch break to go get her hair done. Right. You're, you're like, Ma, we doing some real work. Right. But no, but like, yo, she's probably one of my biggest supporters. Yeah. And But then also like, I could see it give her life. Mm. And then like wait, because like did the conversations in your family also change as what? you've like yes. been able to talk about mental health and well-being yes. and checking in? Okay. Yes. Yeah. Completely shifted. But then um not even just for my younger cousins and them, but then also for the older generations. Yeah. And um sometimes I gotta check them because they want me to be their therapist. I'd be like, nah, I no. can't do it. But yeah. I punch you in the right direction, you know. Good. But at least they're wanting to talk about these things and yeah. discuss them. We talk about different traumas and stuff that went on and, you know, people releasing some of that stuff and then being processing for the first time. Yeah. Well, then you were also doing um, even just like long ago. I don't know what year this is for Eustress. This will be. So we started in 2013 because you were doing mental health walks. Yeah. Still doing them. Yeah. Yeah. And you were doing them in your hometown to bring awareness. Yeah. I did them in my hometown, did them in Charlotte and in Chapel Hill. So my three homes. Yeah. Yeah. And going back to some of the unconventional methods, also coloring, like adult coloring oh, yeah, that's, sessions. That's my thing. <laughs> right, right. Which is so, like, it's actually a lot of fun. Yeah. But yeah. getting into a room with a bunch of adults, like coloring books, pencils. Hey, look, I'm not, I'm a, no, Paul, I'm going to pause you. So the very first coloring night happened because of Sherelle. I just had a space. <laughs> but we needed a space. Yes, yes, and it was it was so much fun. It was so dope. It, it was, was so a lot dope. of fun. Yeah. It was like, it was like you know how like game night is enthusiastic for like adults, mm-hmm. but it was legit like going back to the fundamentals of just having fun, mm-hmm. right? Because all this stuff can be heavy and serious, right? And it was like we're just coming to color. Mm-hmm. And have conversation and build community. Yep. And that's that's what it's really about. <laughs> and then, like you said, a lot of this stuff is really built off of my own journey. I personally color. Yeah. I personally journal. Yeah. Meditate. I do yoga. All of these things. So I incorporate that into my practices and teaching people how to do these things. It's not something that I read out of a book. It's not something that, you know, is a fad for me. No, this is my lifestyle. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the important part is the lifestyle and looking at ourselves holistically. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And you talked a lot about being seen. Yeah. And I've always struggled with that aspect of what does it mean to be seen? Mm -hmm. People talk about bringing your full self and it's like, you don't want my full self. Right. (laughs) You you don't want me to actually say what I got to, what I want to say. Like I got to pull that back a little bit. Um, Or to live the mood that I'm feeling for the day. 
But there is an aspect of how do I allow my family to see me? Mm -hmm. How do I allow my team to see me mm -hmm. as well? Mm -hmm. um, because there are a lot of stressors as a boss, whether mm -hmm. you are an entrepreneur or a manager. And you you spoke about, you know, the weight on your shoulders and your yeah. clients, you know, are like, look, I, I'm not going to, I won't sit around and just tell you, but like, what's, how's my day? Like, what kind of question is this? Right, right, right. Like, <laughs> right. it's a struggle. It's right. a pandemic. Like, right. Right. eggs are expensive. Right. Like, I don't, what do you, what do you want me to say? You know, but this idea that like, I'm a fully fledged person yeah. and I deal with the highs and the lows of life in the world. And yet every day I get up, and I try again. Mm -hmm. And that lifestyle aspect, that integration of this is what my wellness looks like. And there are no negotiables around that aspect in, in teaching those boundaries to people as mm -hmm. well. Because when we set up our own boundaries, it also teaches other people to set up their own boundaries. True. Like my team, like I have like my therapy on Mondays and then I have rest periods and I have blocks. And I started to notice like my team is like mm -hmm. rest period, rest block lunch love it. right because it's easy it. especially when you're working remote to just be around the clock and accessible and mm -hmm. i'm like if you if you are hitting me on slack and you see it's my rest period like do not expect a response right, right. then right but being able to establish those boundaries because you are a whole person and being able to teach that to others and to show up is so transformative for us as we're starting to build mm -hmm. um i want to just ask you uh, our last question as we end our conversation around this idea of like what what does reinvention look like you know to you it's happened for you so many on so many levels in so <laughs> many ways but to our audience and to our listeners and to our viewers you know what 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 does it mean to reinvent yourself Whew. for me uh reinventing myself started with honesty with myself mm. because it wasn't more so of having to pivot in the lens of career or anything like that. It was more so of me learning, truly learning who is Rashawn yeah. outside of other expectations, outside of other people's, um, what they wanted me to do or anything like that. Mm -hmm. No, what truly brings me joy? and happiness and then being able to live in that particular mm -hmm. space which brought me peace mm -hmm. and then also understanding if i'm not hurting anybody rock out i love that i love that and but what about for those of us who are still afraid because all that sounds great like there's a world of peace <laughs> yeah, yeah, and joy yeah, yeah, and yeah, happiness yeah, yeah. and coloring books galore yeah, right yeah but what about the fear, that first step, that first conversation you may have to have with your family who loves you but is afraid, right? Who's gonna mm. give you this advice to maybe you gotta stay in this because you don't know when the next opportunity gonna come. You know, some of those fears. It is not easy yeah, yeah, yeah. to no, step not, into it's reinvention. Not, it's not, it's it is not, not because not. everyone expects you to be and show up a certain way. Right. So if if the folks who are listening and and watching and viewing are still a bit hindered, you know, by that, like taking that first step, you know, what kind of advice or just encouragement could you give them around knowing that there isn't, there's crossing over to the other side is going to be much better than staying stuck. One thing is uh, break it down step by step. 
You don't have to all do. You don't have to do it all in one, one fall leap. Yeah. Um, but then also find your tribe. Mm-hmm. I think that's very important um, because sometimes we we want our family and our close friends to be supportive of all of these things. God didn't give you the vision just for you to just try to disseminate it to other folks and get approval for it. Sometimes you just got to step out there and find Sometimes other people to little, support it. It's a little solo journey, but yeah. you find your, yeah. find your folks along the yeah. way. Yeah, and yeah. then the, the folk, your folks that you find may not be the people that you thought would be it. Mm-hmm. And being okay with that. Um, but then also just being able to... Um, I'm, I'm a big proponent of writing things down. Yeah. That's that's because of the fact that you need to get it out of your head. And mm-hmm. then also as you get it out of your head, you can break it down a little bit more. But then also when you when you look at it, what are you really scared about? Yeah. What about your past is making you scared? That of your comfort future? zone. Yeah. And but is it really comfort? Mm-hmm. Because if it's something that's weighing on you so much, you're not you're not comfortable. You're not comfortable. It's time to move. Right. Yeah. Time to do something different. Right. Yeah. But then, you know, accepting that aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Don't let fear stagnate you. Yeah. Love that. As always, like, thank you for sharing your story, for being vulnerable, but also for being completely unafraid to sometimes be afraid and to do it anyway. Because it is be afraid at times. Of course. I mean, of course we all are, but I think that so much of your story and your journey has given a sense of freedom to other people. And I'm sure that every single person that follows you, that follows your work, that participates in your work, is grateful in so many ways. So it's just such an amazing journey to watch you continue to climb. Especially since you've seen it start off like Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Same though. Shooting in the gym. Right. That's like my only sports reference I know. Shooting in the gym. You were literally I gotta go with shooting that. in the gym. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you so much for joining us on uh, the World to Adventure and Sean. Always grateful for you. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks again for listening to another episode of The Road to Reinvention. If you find yourself moved or feeling free after tuning in, Make sure to leave a review on your favorite listening platform and share this with someone you know who may be navigating a similar journey. You do not have to do this alone. To hang out with me more, head over to join our Fluency newsletter at shereldorsey.com. Until next episode, may you embrace your need to recreate, revitalize, and reinvent yourself over and over.